Theories abound concerning the topic of the rapture. But the Bible is crystal clear on this subject and answers all of the important questions. How do we know Jesus will even return to the earth? What is the rapture? Is it a physical or just a spiritual event? Is the rapture and the second coming the same event? When does the rapture occur? Who will be caught up in the rapture? Well, we will answer these questions on this edition of End of the Age. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Dave Robbins with End Time Ministries. Thank you so much for joining me on this edition of End of the Age. Most, of, most, if not all of you, have heard about the topic of the rapture. And judging by the emails, the Facebook posts, public discussions, YouTube videos, books, and sermons that I have received, heard, watched, and read, there are so many different traditional viewpoints on this subject. Over the next couple of End of the Age segments, I want to provide the scriptural answers to many questions that arise when discussing the rapture. Some of the scriptures will be used several times, And you'll understand why as we go along. They'll kind of overlap each other, but they help to prove the points. So the first question is, will Jesus even return to the earth? Believe it or not, some people doubt that. But the answer is absolutely yes. And the angels actually prophesied His return. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus was getting ready to ascend into heaven. He had just been crucified. He spent three days and nights in the grave. And then He rose from the dead. For 40 days, He showed Himself alive by appearing to many people at different times. At one time, He appeared to a crowd of 500 people. Of course, this provided infallible proof that Jesus Christ had indeed risen from the dead. He left no doubt. Well, after these 40 days, Jesus led His disciples to the Mount of Olives uh, to give them His final instructions. And He told them, You guys go back to Jerusalem and you stay there until you be endued with power from on high. Well, many of them were from Galilee, which was about 100 miles north. So they really could have gone home if they wanted to, but he wanted them to go to Jerusalem because while they were there, he was going to empower them and baptize them with the Holy Ghost. And he told them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, 
that they needed the Holy Ghost to have power to fulfill His commission. He said, But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Again, that's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Well, after giving these final instructions, Jesus lifted His hands, He blessed them, and then He suddenly ascended into the heavens. While His disciples stood staring up into the sky, two men in white apparel stood by them, and they said these words, Ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus which was taken up from you, this miraculous event, I mean, they stood and watched Him go. This same Jesus which was taken up from you shall so come again in like manner as you have seen Him go into heaven. That's Acts chapter 1, verse 11. So this was the promise that Jesus would return to the earth. Well, the disciples, however, had no idea that it would take a 2,000 years for the promise to be fulfilled, though it still has not happened yet, and it has already been close to 2,000 years since this prophecy was given. Listen to me, everybody. It will happen. The promise of Jesus' return is firm. He will come again. It's prophesied in Scripture many times, and the prophecies always come to pass. Scripture tells us that when Jesus returns in the clouds, the saved or the born-again individuals will be caught up or gathered together to meet Him in the air. And this event is called, when we are gathered together to Him, that's what we would refer to as the rapture. So let me give you a, a clear definition for the, or let me give you a really good answer for the question, what is the rapture? 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 15 through 17, the Bible says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, as the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. In verse 17, the term caught up is in the original Greek, harpazo, which means to seize or to snatch out or away. So yes, folks, this prophesied event, prophesied many times in Scripture, when the Lord will come back in the clouds with the sound of a trumpet to gather His elect unto Him, the church, the saints, it's prophesied in Scripture, and it, in fact, will happen. There's not one-tenth of one percent chance that it won't happen because the prophecies always come to pass. 
Now, I know we're coming up to a break here, and I want to make sure that I don't cut this next verse in half because it's one of the most important ones. And so I'm looking forward to continuing, once we get back from the break, answering these questions about the rapture. There, again, there are so many theories going around and traditional viewpoints and different things that I, I wanted to kind of clear things up just using Scripture Not my opinions, but just using scripture to show and to answer these many different questions concerning the rapture. So, looking forward to getting deep off into this subject when we get back from the break. In the Bible, God gave us a timeline from the beginning to the end of the age. Satan and the elites of this world don't want you to understand the timeline leading to the second coming of Jesus. You can pinpoint where we are in the end time, understand how you fit in, and be filled with hope in God's plan by watching our brand new video, The Future According to Bible Prophecy. Get your DVD of the future according to Bible prophecy free with a gift of any amount. Go to intime.com slash future or call 800 intime. That's intime.com slash future or 800-363-8463. Hi, I'm Judy Baxter. When Irvin and I got married, we didn't realize that our calling would be a prophetic ministry. Since we started in time ministries, there have been many times We weren't sure how we would pay the bills, but God has always provided. We started with the magazine, then went on radio and TV, and now we have the Jerusalem Prophecy College in Israel and online and end of the age plus. The mission has always been to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the end time message. Through the years, my husband would say, we will see revival like never before in the last days. We are living in the end time now. Thank you for walking this journey with us and continuing in prayer. You are a part of the team. Thank you for your generous support. It is necessary for God's purpose. The most important thing is that you are ready when the Lord comes. Our hope is to help prepare you for that day. God bless you and we love you. So I have a quick announcement before we get back into the program today. I have a prophecy conference coming up in Kingsport, Tennessee on June 4th and June 5th. On June 4th from 6 to 8 p.m., I will be teaching the Antichrist Socialistic Kingdom. And then on June 5th, on Sunday morning from 11 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., I'll actually be preaching on... The Holy Ghost. I won't be teaching prophecy that morning. And so it would be kind of a unique service. Many of you may have never heard me preach before. You've just heard me teaching prophecy and teaching different uh, Bible lessons. So uh, last time we were at in Kingsport, Tennessee, the church was packed. And I think we had 300 to 400 visitors there. And so we certainly uh, look forward to seeing many of you back Uh, in a couple of weeks. Again, that's June 4th and June 5th. This is going to be at the Christian Life Center, 2401 North 
John B. Dennis Highway, Kingsport, Tennessee. Pastor Jeremy Damesworth, you guys will love him. He's a wonderful pastor. They have a wonderful church. And I look forward to being with you there on June 4th, 6 to 8 p.m., June 5th, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. And uh, what a great time that will be. I love teaching and preaching on prophecy and the Holy Ghost. Now, to continue on answering what is the rapture. Well, Matthew chapter 24, verse 30 through 31. The Bible says, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. This event only happens one time in the very near future. And that is the rapture. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. The Apostle Paul said, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 54. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Not everyone, not all saints will go by way of the grave. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, this mortal individual must, be, must put on incorruption. And this mortal, or the ability to die, must put on immortality, the inability to die. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. So, the rapture is the event where the Lord will come in the clouds and send His angels with the sound of a great trumpet to gather the saints, those that have passed on before us and those that are still alive. And it is at this time when the saints will be changed from mortal human beings to an immortal being. Even those in the grave will be given their immortal body. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. This event is what we would call the rapture. And the reason I'm kind of sticking here is because there are a lot of teachings out there that the rapture could be just a spiritual event. Or, and rather than a physical. So I want to answer the question, is the rapture a truly a physical event that will happen? Will we be physically caught up in the air? Or is it just a spiritual event and that we will remain here on the earth and not go up to meet the Lord in the air? Now, again, I'm only answering this question. Most of you know the answer. But there are people that are teaching that it's just a spiritual event that we'll stay here on the earth 
We're not going to go up and meet him in the air, have the marriage supper of the Lamb in the sky and all the other events that will take place. And I wanted to kind of clear that up. So the question that I'm going to answer now is, is the rapture a spiritual event or is it truly a physical event? Well, Matthew 24, 30, like I said, some of these scriptures are going to overlap. Matthew 24, 30, 30, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the, earth, all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see with their eyes, they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So it's not just a spiritual event. There's going to be something happening in the clouds, a, an event happening. There's going to be a being that appears in the clouds that everybody on the earth will be able to see. He will be made manifest. Revelation 1.7, the Bible says, Behold, He, Jesus, cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see Him, physically see this being coming in the clouds. And they also which pierced Him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of Him. Even so, amen. So the answer is absolutely yes. The rapture will be a physical event when the dead in Christ will rise from their graves first, then the Christians who are alive and remain, the Christians who have their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the Christians who have been born again, they will be caught up physically to meet them in the air. Our feet will physically leave the ground and we will meet the Lord in the air. And then, of course, I'll get to it in a moment, but then we go to the great marriage supper of the Lamb in the sky and then to fight on behalf of Israel at the Battle of Armageddon. This one simultaneous event that happens in one day. The next question I have to answer because of this one simultaneous event is, is the rapture and the second coming the same event? Or is it two separate events that happen seven years apart? Does the rapture occur, then there's this seven-year marriage uh, supper, and then the Lord come back? Is that what happens? Is that what the Bible says happens, that there's a seven-year separation between the rapture and the second coming? Well, actually, the Bible is very clear that the rapture and the second coming is one simultaneous event. Now, I know know a lot of people say, well, it's just the, you know, that people that believe in a post-trib rapture, or people that believe this, that they believe in a U-turn theory or something like that. But it's very important that we understand what the Bible tells us. Not tradition, not all these different viewpoints that have been put out in books, but what does the Bible say? So in Revelation 19.7, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice. Now remember, we're all the way over here in chapter 19 of the book of Revelation. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and His wife had made herself ready. Now that's the rapture, folks. You know, many people have taught that the rapture of the church occurs back in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. 
However, we're clear over here in Revelation 19.7. And the marriage of the Lamb to His bride, the church, has not happened yet. Also, verse 7 reveals that His wife, the church, hath made herself ready. Revelation 19.8 describes the bride's preparation. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Then John said, after this, after the bride hath made herself ready for the, um, this wedding that's going to take place, the voice said to John in Revelation 19.9, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. So these are happening just with the rapture occurs, we go straight with Him to eat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Immediately afterward in Revelation 19.11, heaven is opened, Jesus appears in the sky, and John said, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. So how, how do all these events, I say they're a simultaneous event, how do all these events fit together? Okay. So back in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-17, it explains, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, the Christians who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, these scriptures are describing the same event as the bride meeting with her bridegroom for the marriage supper in Revelation 19. It's the exact same thing. Although we are not given much detail about the marriage supper of the Lamb, it is obvious that it will occur sometime, somewhere in the sky, since the church by then will have received immortal bodies, and you know this could be held virtually anywhere. Some have speculated the marriage supper will last for seven years. But it is obvious that this cannot be true, since in Revelation 19, the battle of Armageddon follows immediately after the marriage supper of the Lamb. Furthermore, what, what is the longest supper any, as any of us have ever attended, right? I mean, obviously, what, two, three, four, maybe, maybe four hours? That's a long supper. So, the second coming of Jesus is recorded several times in the book of Revelation. The last description of the second coming is found in Revelation 19, 11, and 12. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called true, faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. So in this passage, John saw heaven opened. The same event happened in, back in what, Revelation 6, 14. 
The Bible says, And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. All of this is happening at the same event, folks. These two accounts describe the same event. In Revelation 19, 13, and 14, the name of the one on the white horse is the Word of God. The Bible says, And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven, this is the raptured saints who have uh, eaten at the marriage supper of the Lamb, they followed him on white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now, and this is all laid out in Revelation 19. You can, you can read this in chronological order. We know for certain this is Jesus because in John uh, 1.1, the Bible says that um, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in 14, the Bible says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we are explicitly told Jesus is the Word of God. Revelation 19, 14 explains that the armies which were in heaven followed Jesus on white horses. And of course, this refers to the church because Enoch prophesied saying, this would be in Jude chapter 1 verse 14, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of His saints. Now, in summary here, Jesus will come in the clouds to rapture His saints. We will have the marriage supper of the Lamb in the sky and then go straight to fight on behalf of Israel at the Battle of Armageddon. It is one simultaneous event and it all occurs in the same day. We're gathered from all over the earth, the dead in Christ and we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet Him we have the marriage supper of the Lamb in the sky. And then the Bible says they're gathered to um, the place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. We're going there to fight. And that's what happens. It's a gathering to the Lord for the marriage supper. And then we're going there to fight. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the... Here it is, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us as the day of Christ. Here it calls the coming of our Lord and our gathering together unto Him, the day of Christ is at hand. And then it says, let no man deceive you by any means. I'm going to hold right here because I want to make sure that I don't cut this in half because of the break. But it says, let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come. Again, it calls it, that day. And so we're going to go back through this verse because of the break on the other side, because I want to make sure you get it. The coming of the Lord and our gathering to Him that day. Whether it's a global pandemic, threat of war, or floundering economies, end time events are happening around the world every day. How can you have peace in a world of such great uncertainty? With the End Time Magazine subscription, you can gain a deeper understanding of current events and its prophesied repercussions. End Time Magazine's exclusive content and prophetic insight allows you to understand where we are in the end time. It will give you peace when horrific news and events happen. 
when you subscribe today to End Time Magazine for 12 months for just $19.99. You can have hope for the future because you will understand what the Bible says about the time we are living in. You'll get access to exclusive articles like the Prophesied American-Israeli Alliance, End Time Do's and Don'ts, and Could School Choice Save America? Subscribe for you or a friend right now. Go to endtime.com or call 1-800-END-TIME. That's 1-800-END-TIME. The symbols and prophecies within the book of Revelation have perplexed Christians and unbelievers around the world. In his final work, Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ Part 2, the late Irvin Baxter unlocks the mystery of the book of Revelation with in-depth analysis and commentary like you've never heard before. These comprehensive study tools, available for $299, will deepen your biblical understanding. Don't miss this special offer. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com. If your station only carries the first 30 minutes of End of the Age, go to endtime.com and click the watch for today's broadcast. You can also finish up later by clicking the archive button. So again, and this is very, very critical, the rapture and the second coming are one simultaneous event. The Apostle Paul prophesied and said that they would all happen in one day. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1-3 through 3, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus and by our gathering together unto Him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, neither by letter as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. Twice it'll say that that day. The Bible also says, it goes on to say, let no man deceive you by any means for that day. It's all going to happen simultaneously in one day. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, which we know and can prove is the dark ages. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So this day will not occur until after the Antichrist is revealed and comes on the scene. Just like John, the Apostle Paul, taught the coming of our Lord and our gathering unto Him was one simultaneous event, and it all takes place on the same day. Now, of course, in going through and defining the rapture and answering the questions of the rapture, there is so much traditional teaching about a, the timing of the rapture. There are three really main opinions of the timing of the rapture. There's a pre-trib rapture, which is the belief that the rapture occurs before the Great Tribulation. That's a traditional belief that many have. There is a belief system out there of a mid-trib rapture. However, those individuals are under the misunderstanding that there is a seven-year Great Tribulation. This is something we need to clear up. There is no scriptures in the Bible for a seven-year Tribulation period. There is a final seven-year, Daniel 70 weeks, or this, this Daniel 70th week. But there are no scriptures for a seven-year tribulation. All of the scriptures that give the duration of the Great Tribulation in the Bible 
says that it's three and a half years. All of them, they refer to it as 42 months, 1260 days, time, times, and half a times. So it's all that final three and one half year period immediately preceding the second coming of Jesus Christ in the Battle of Armageddon. So really the midterm, uh, the uh, mid-tribulation rapture really has no, I mean, there's really nothing there because there's there's no such thing as a seven-year tribulation. And then there is the post-tribulation belief system, which says the rapture occurs at the end of the tribulation. Now, this is what Scripture teaches. There are no Scriptures in the Bible. There's not one Scripture in the Bible, honestly, that says the rapture, which we defined as when the Lord will come in the clouds, gather with the sound of a great trumpet, send His angels to gather the elect. There's not one Scripture in the Bible that says that happens before the tribulation. That's a traditional belief. But the Bible does say in many places that the rapture occurs at the very end of the tribulation period or a post-tribulation stance. So the question is, and I want to give you some scripture, when will the, tribu- when will the rapture occur? Uh, the first one would be Matthew 29, or I'm sorry, 24, verse 29 through uh, 31. Jesus said, remember this first sentence, immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, stars shall fall from heaven, powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and then what does He do? Immediately after the tribulation of those days, He shall send His angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together the elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now, if Jesus would have said immediately before the tribulation, then we would have an entirely different discussion today. But Jesus said immediately after the tribulation of those days. Now, Matthew 24, 29-31 clearly says the rapture happens after the great tribulation. But some will say that the elect in this passage applies only to the Jews. But there is no scriptural proof for that. Furthermore, a study of the word elect or election in the New Testament reveals that every time the word elect is used, except for the elect angels or an elect lady, it is referring to the church, not the Jews. The best proof for this is Romans eleven seven. What then? Israel or the Jews hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election, the church, hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. So it makes a clear distinction between Israel and the Jews or the election. Even in Matthew 24, Jesus uses the word elect in what? Verses 22 and in 24 to refer to the church, not the unbelieving Jewish people. Further, uh, further support for this verse is verse 31. As the rapture of the church are the verses that follow it, which describe, among other things, you remember, two being in the field, one is taken, the other left. This is the rapture, folks. So another proof 
uh, for when will the rapture happen or after the tribulation period is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Clearly it says that the Antichrist will be revealed before the rapture happens. Um, it starts, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto Him. This is the rapture. That you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, as that, um, nor by letter, as that day, or as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come, except there comes a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And then verse 6 clearly says what is holding back the revelation of the Antichrist, and it's simply that it's not time yet. Verse 6 says, And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. And then Revelation 20, verses, well, let's go 4 through 6. The Bible says, And I saw, John was seeing a vision of the future at this point. He says, Well, I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them, that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus Christ and for the word of God. And these individuals had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had taken the mark of the beast. So the Bible says, neither had they received the mark in their uh, foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. So the Bible is ref- then the Bible refers back to verse 4. And it says, this is the first resurrection. Those of the individuals who came through the Great Tribulation and did not take the mark of the beast, which is when the, the mark of the beast is doled out, they went in the first resurrection, or the rapture. Then the Bible says, Blessed is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power. But they, these individuals will be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him for the thousand year period. So, Revelation 20, verses 4 and 6 is saying that the saints who were killed during the mark of the beast period, when that's doled out, which is the great tribulation, that final three and one half year period, <clears throat> will be part of the first resurrection or the rapture. So, it's a, it's a slam dunk. These individuals who came through the great tribulation did not take the mark of the beast. They went in the first resurrection, which happens after the great tribulation. Now, I know this conflicts with the pre-tribulation rapture theory, which states that the first resurrection happens before the mark of the beast. The pre-tribulation rapture theory, it converts the resurrection in Revelation 20, verse 4 through 6, into a second resurrection. Well, John takes great pains to tell us that it's the first resurrection. So, In an attempt to avoid a scriptural breakdown here, those who hold to a pre-tribulation rapture have said in the past there have been many first resurrections. Or or I've even heard there are many parts to the first resurrection. 
Well, this, of course, is absurd and, and wholly unnecessary. And also, it's been said that a rapture and a resurrection are not the same. But the rapture is when the dead in Christ rise. This is the very definition of resurrection, right? They're resurrected from the dead. Although there are many other ways to prove a post-tribulation rapture, I'll conclude with this. It's been commonly taught that the Great Tribulation is the wrath of God, but the Bible teaches the opposite. When the Great Tribulation ends, this is when God's wrath begins. Uh, So let me give you some proof. One of the events that takes place during the wrath of God is the sun, moon, stars go dark. It's described in the sixth seal, Revelation 6, 12-17. It specifically calls it the wrath of God. Well, the sun, the moon, the stars going dark is also spoken of by Jesus in Matthew 24, 29. Only Jesus gives us the timing here. He says that it occurs after the Great Tribulation. So according to Jesus, the wrath of God is not the Great Tribulation, but rather the wrath of God occurs after the Great Tribulation. To operate under the wrong assumption that God's wrath is a tribulation really is causing some confusion, doesn't it? And then Revelation 12, 7-17 describes the events of the Great Tribulation. And this can be proven by comparing it with other passages in the Bible that speak of this three-and-one-half-year period of time, or 1,260 days, 42 months, time, times, and half a time. Verse 12 calls the Great Tribulation the time of Satan's wrath. I mean, after all, God does not persecute His own people. Satan does. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 teaches that God's people are not appointed unto God's wrath. I agree with that a thousand percent. We're not appointed unto God's wrath. The post-tribulation rapture teaching agrees with that. And as I have proven, though, the great tribulation is not God's wrath. It is Satan's wrath. I mean, doesn't history record that 11 of the 12 apostles were martyred? I mean, saints today are not immune from the trials, temptations, and persecutions of Satan. It has been said that God wouldn't beat up His bride before marrying her. That is certainly true. God would not beat up His bride, but Satan would. And so, you know, I'm I'm just really wanting to clear up some of the things. Just, man, I've been sent so many emails and, and books and... YouTube videos to watch and heard so many public discussions and things over the timing of the rapture and what is the rapture and what is the wrath of God? What is the great tribulation? Is it the wrath of God or the wrath of Satan? Just wanted to clear some things up today. I've been part of the End Time family from the beginning over 30 years ago when my parents, Irvin and Judy Baxter, began ministry from the recliner in our living room. My name is Jana Roberts. I have the pleasure of connecting with our incredible partners every day. End Time is a small nonprofit that runs a high-traffic website, a daily TV and radio show, the Prophecy College in Jerusalem, and more. Although we have less than 30 team members, we are able to serve tens of millions of people each month. 
We survive on the goodness of God and donations averaging about $50. If everyone hearing this message gave $22, our financial needs would be met for the year. If you only give to one cause per month, please consider partnering with End Time to help get the message of our soon coming King out to the world. Call us at 1-800-END-TIME to give today or go to endtime.com to become a monthly or one-time partner. So I think I'll end these couple sessions on the rapture by answering this one last question. Who will be caught up in the rapture? I mean, that's really the most important question. If you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, guess what? You can still make it to heaven. (laughs) If you believe in a mid-trib, a post-trib, you can still make it to heaven. The reason we spend time on these things is because we want to make sure that you understand what the Bible really says. And you might be able to mentally and physically and spiritually prepare yourselves for them some things that might happen in the near future. But also, I want you to know that we love everybody. I, I, I just want to make sure you know the truth. And I want to see everybody go to heaven. But the last question, who will be involved in the rapture? This is really the most important question. The Bible refers to these individuals as the elect, the bride of Christ, the church, and the saints. You say, well, Dave, how can I become a member of this group? Well, 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21 states, Therefore, if any man... It doesn't leave out a, a select group of individuals. It says, if any man, anybody, be in Christ... He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us unto Him by Jesus Christ, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation." Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech us, uh, did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, but ye reconcil- be ye reconciled to God, for He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin. He had never sinned, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. What a promise, folks! When verse seventeen says, "I can become a new creature." Does that literally mean Jesus Christ can turn into a lost human being, can turn lost human beings into a new person? Thankfully, yes, it does mean that. You say, but Dave, I did this sin back 20 years ago and God could never forgive that. That's a lie from Satan. I don't care what you've done. God can forgive you if you will come and obey the gospel, present yourself to Him and uh, repent of your sins, and be born again, and live a Christian walk, God will forgive you. And this occurs when a person is born again. Now, I'm not talking about some kind of a imagined pseudo-experience. Hocus pocus. or No. I'm talking about the genuine spiritual experience that happened to me decades ago. 
I mean, it changed my life forever. And I've seen it happen to literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people over the years. You know, before I truly experienced Christ, I lived a life of condemnation and guilt. I thought God was angry with me all the time and was anxious to punish me. A lot of people see God that way. But remember, verse 18 said, I could be reconciled to God. What does the word reconciled mean? Well, the Latin word concilio means to bring together. The prefix re means again. So the word reconcile means to bring together again. All of us were separated from God by our sin. But this scripture says... We can be reconciled to God by Jesus Christ. We say, well, how does that work? Well, let me let you in on a big secret. It seemed like the harder I tried to find peace with God, the more I wrestled with condemnation in my life. I remember going back, just, it was a wrestling match. And then I found the big secret, remember in verse 19 here. There it says, God reconciled us to Himself by not imputing our trespasses to us. What does it mean when when it says God will not impute our trespasses to us? The word impute means to place on the account of or to attribute to. The secret is that once we are in Christ, that's the key. Once we are in Christ by being born again... God will no longer impute our trespasses to us. You say, but that's not really fair. I I didn't pay the price I should have. Once Adam and Eve born again, I entered into the law of sin and death, which is the soul that sins, it's got to die. But Jesus is saying, I don't necessarily have to do that. So that's not really fair. He will die in my place. I mean, how could that possibly be? Well, verse 21 It explains it all. It says, For He hath made Him, Jesus, to be sin for us, and He had never sinned. But He drank the cup of sin for all of us. He he was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So Jesus never sinned, But He loved us so much that He volunteered for our sins to be imputed to Him so that His righteousness could be imputed to us. You see see how awesome and wonderful? You see why true Christians will worship God and thank Him every day? Because He made it so I didn't have to die and go to be in an eternal place of torture, I could, I could have his, his righteousness, my sins could be imputed to him, and he, his righteousness could be imputed to me. So, let me see if I can make it simple here. There was a law that ruled the human race from Adam until Christ. It's called the law of sin and death. Uh, it's defined, what, back in Ezekiel 18.4. Behold, all the sins are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. 
The soul that sinneth, it's got to die. There it is. The soul that sins, it's got to die. All of us lived under the law of sin and death. However, God loved us and didn't want us to die. And therefore, He designed a plan to save us from the law of sin and death. God said, I will become a man and will be tempted like every other human being. However, I will not yield to those temptations. I will live a sinless life. Consequently, I will not deserve to die. But I will trick Satan into killing me anyway. When Satan kills me, he will have broken the law of sin and death since only the soul that sins must die. Once the law of sin and death is broken by Satan, it will no longer be in force. And so this is exactly what Jesus did. The Bible says if the princes of this world would have known who Jesus really was, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. Well, then Romans 8, uh, Romans 8, 1 through 2 explains it this way. There is therefore now no condemnation to them, here's the key, which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life is in Christ Jesus. And that has made me free from the law of sin and death. Oh, am I so thankful that the Lord came and robed Himself in flesh and died for me and paid that price on Calvary for my sins. Hebrews 2, 14-15. It says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, He also Himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So, to put the answer in simple language, God robed himself in a human body at Bethlehem. He lived a sinless life and then chose to die in my place, and in your place. You say, but Dave, 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 whoa, 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 hold up. You do not know the kind of life I've lived. You don't know the lies I've told. You don't know the debauchery I've gotten into, the things I've done. Listen to me. I don't care, and Jesus Christ doesn't care. You don't know the things I've done. I've told lies. I've done some bad things, went to some bad places. But there's no qualifier on it to the Lord. He just said, come unto me. Everybody, everybody. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter your pedigree. It doesn't matter your education. It doesn't matter how much uh, money you have. It doesn't matter any, n- nothing. Come unto me. Okay? So folks, this means that you and me, we don't have to die. And, and, I, and I, I now have a wonderful gift of eternal life. And you can have the same thing. By obeying the salvation plan purchased by Jesus Christ on Calvary. I can be born again. 
I can become a new creature. The Bible tells me I can. I can can become a new creature. And when Jesus returns to rapture his church, this was the question we're asking, who gets to go in the rapture? Who can be a part of that? Guess what? When Jesus returns to rapture his church, the saints, the bride of Christ, and myself, I will be numbered in those that go to be with him. And I want you to be as well. Now, you say, well, how am I born again? What do I do? Well, for a conclusive explanation, I want you to, I want to take, I just don't want to throw it out there and say, just do this and say this prayer and you're done. I want you to know the scriptures. That's why we offer the brochure, what do you mean born again? I want, to, I want you to truly understand what you need to do, what's required of you, the life you should live. So for a conclusive explanation of the biblical plan of salvation, being born again, call 1-800-363-8463 and ask for the free brochure, What Do You Mean Born Again? Or visit www.endtime.com and go to the search bar and look for What Do You Mean Born Again? It's all right there. So I would tell you, don't wait. Be born again today. The rapture, it's a few years off now. But none of us, none of us are promised tomorrow. So it's of utmost importance that we understand the truth of what the Bible teaches, whether it lines up with our tradition or not, and that we know, number one, how how am I born again? How can I get to the point... Well, God will not impute my trespasses to me. But my sins can be imputed to Him. His righteousness can be imputed to me. And I can be a born-again individual. When that trumpet sounds, my feet will leave the ground and I can go participate in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Folks, there's nothing more important than that. And we want you to be a part of that as well. If you've never been born again, call in time or go to endtime.com and look for that brochure, What Do You Mean Born Again? This has been End of the Age, brought to you by the faithful partners of End Time Ministries. If you're not currently a partner with End Time Ministries or if you would like more information, we invite you to call us at 1-800-END-TIME. That's 1-800-363-8463 or visit us online at endtime.com.